Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. So this morning we are diving into Psalm 90, and uh, we've looked at this breakdown, or a breakdown, uh, a way of looking at the Psalms, and this morning we're in Psalm 90, which is the beginning of book number four of the Psalms. Now, interestingly enough, this is the oldest Psalm that we have. This is the oldest hymn in the Jewish and Christian hymn book if you want to say it like that, that we have, written by Moses. So at the time when these psalms were first being compiled into book form, this psalm was already 1,000 years old. In Jesus' time, it would have been much older than that, right? Um, And so this is an ancient, ancient song. And not only that, but it is a beautifully clear song as well. The language that Moses uses here, the language that was handed down from person to person, is beautiful. So it's always hard, uh, at least in my mind, to approach this language as anything but a poet. And yet there are deep truths that we must mine for not only as listening to poetry, but as Christians and as those seeking to know God's word and as scholars this morning, okay? So let me pray for us as we get started. Father God, thank you for this song that has already been read for us. God, give us the kind of um, clarity in understanding this psalm that Moses had when penning it. And as generation upon generation has had singing this song, God. May the truths that we see about ourselves humble us and may the truths that we see about you make us desire to know you more and to love you more to lean into you more, to rest in and rely upon you more. And God, we will thank you for that. Amen. This psalm also is not only a very ancient one, but you could categorize it in two ways. It could be a psalm of wisdom. Because in this psalm, we, in verse number 12, is probably the most famous verse in this psalm. And it says this, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So in fact, this is a wisdom psalm. It is leading us to a place of seeking wisdom from God. And yet, just underneath that surface, this is also a psalm of lament, a psalm of sadness, For reasons that we can't be sure of, 
We don't know what the circumstance is in this psalm that is leading God's people to sadness. And yet, as we've studied before, as we studied two weeks ago, um, when we are angry, we take that anger to the Lord. As we studied last week, when there is a joyous occasion in which we are dedicating our lives and our service to the Lord, we don't just do that amongst one another, but we do it before the face of God, in front of Him. And in this psalm, we see that there is sadness that needs to be dealt with. Now, part of this sadness fits in very well to what we see happening at the end of Moses' life. In Deuteronomy chapter 33 specifically, I'm going to turn over there briefly. And the circumstance, as we will probably remember, as you know, here is that God's people have been continually disobedient. Even at a certain point, there is a land that God has promised His people, and He has commanded them to go into the land. He says, your gift is waiting on you. Go and take it. And they are too frightened by the gift, and they refuse. But we read this in chapter 32, rather, sorry, of Deuteronomy. That very day, the Lord spoke to Moses, go up to this mountain of Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession, and die on that mountain which you go up, and be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother died in Mount Mount Hor, as was gathered to his people, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of a particular river in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel." So here is God talking to his servant, Moses, a man of God, as is prefaced for us in the psalm, as this psalm begins. And yet, Moses was not going to be going into the land. There's a great cloud of sadness around this. This could be the circumstance here in this psalm, which makes verse number one very jarring if you will. Because Moses has been leading God's people for over 40 years in the wilderness for a place to live. And yet, God says now that you will not enter that place. To which Moses says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Is this land important? Yes, the land's important. Will God fulfill his promise? Yes, God will fulfill his promise. And yet, in humility now, Moses realizes 
that at the end of the day, the land is not the most important bit. The most important bit is that he has been provided for, that he has been taken care of, that he has received shelter and protection, that he has received his home, and his home is in the Lord. As we go through this psalm this morning, we're going to be asking two questions. What does this psalm teach us about who we are? And what does this psalm teach us about who God is? Two questions we're going to be asking ourselves this morning. My children have a uh, catechism that we go through. Uh, to help them memorize truths about God and to help them memorize Scripture. And part of this catechism is song, okay? Now, the songs are not very cool. (laughs) They're not very cool. In fact, it's kind of obnoxious to me driving in the car listening because the songs are meant for memorization. They're all, you know, a minute and a half or less long, okay? Okay. And they all kind of have a very similar beat to them. Uh, But this psalm, I was choosing between two psalms. I had done my research, and I thought, okay, Psalm 90, I think I know what that one is. And then I started reading the psalm, and I got to verse number two, and all I could think about was the kids' songs, okay? Because in one of their songs, it goes, Before the mountains were born, or the earth, or your words you brought forth from everlasting. Okay? So anyway, here I am. I'm reading. I'm trying to study the psalm. And all I can think about is, the, is this kid's song. Okay? All I can think about is this kid's song. But why would children need to understand that before the mountains were brought forth, or ever God had formed the earth and the world, From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. Why would they need to know that? And why does it follow up behind God is the dwelling place of all generations? This psalm, as much as it is about Moses and the struggles of the people, of God's people at this time, it is also a study of theology proper. Okay? And I'm not trying to be nerdy with you. Um, theology. We use this word, but what does it mean? Theology. Theo, God, ology, the study of or the science of God. And when we talk about theology, we can talk about a theology of work or a theology of marriage or a theology of whatever it is. But when we talk about theology proper, that is a study of God and a study of the things of God. And here in this psalm, we have a beautiful picture of some of the great truths about who our God is. In this case, namely, that he is eternal. That he was always there for all generations past. He was eternal the dwelling place of his people. Any of those that found themselves in God were safe and secure and given shelter, given dwelling, given a home. And yet we also have the promise that because God always was, God always will be. So for all generations past 
and all generations to come, those who are God, who belong to God, will find their home in Him. What does this psalm teach us about who we are, though? Verse 3, we start to get a picture of why this is a song of lament. You return to dust. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. Now, this could sound like just a depressing statement of fact, okay? <laughs> because it is. It is. It's a statement about the fact that we all die, that we return to dust. If I go over to Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, we read this. By the sweat of your face, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What's the circumstance in this? A curse. We are cursed. We are cursed because of our sin. And Moses here, the psalmist, is saying, you return us to dust. And this isn't just a pithy, yes, one day we all die. No, it's much deeper than that. Because in this, Moses is talking about Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. And he's saying, because of what we have done, because we stand before you with sin, we return to dust. And in that, we should also see that this is not the way that things were meant to be. We were not meant to return to the dust. We were meant to forever have physical presence with God. Our dwelling place, the one that provides for us and cares for us from before time until after it ends. And Moses says, For a thousand years in your sight are but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night, that our lives are like this to God who is eternal. In verse 7, we see that uh, we are rightfully, we are justly under God's wrath. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. Why? Verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Here Moses is reiterating what we already learned in verse 3. <laughs> that this death that we have in our lives is not natural. And that this death is one that we have because of the sin that we, we hold before God's face. In verses 9 through 11, we read this. For all our days pass away under your wrath. 
We bring our years to an end like a sigh. You know, all of us seek to have um, a life that means something, right? We seek to do something with our lives. And yet, I can't help but read this and think of it just as we heard these babies' cries just now. What is our life? It's as a sigh. It's as a single cry. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Now, whenever we talk about fearing God, uh, let's just admit it, we all get a little bit uncomfortable, right? We don't want to fear God. I mean, and we have Jesus now. We have nothing to fear, right? And yet, as the psalmist David says, our sin is ever before us. And in light of that, what does fear mean for us? It, it means to have reverence towards God. A proper understanding of who He is and who we are before Him. A humility with God. Right? If we don't hear that our secret selves are in front of God's face, ever there, and that doesn't somehow make us more humble, we're doing it wrong. So fear in this case is to be having reverence, understanding who God is, showing humility, being obedient toward being obedient toward God and showing faith in God as the one who is eternal, who is our dwelling place. And then we get to verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Christian, you know this. I don't have to tell you this. Most of us have been sick in the last two weeks. Our days are numbered. Now, if I were reading that in a crime novel, I would be very scared for the main character, right? Your days are numbered. And that's just what Moses is saying here. Your days are numbered. You need to approach them knowing that your days are numbered. You need to approach them so that you know what it is that God expects of you. You know what it is that you should be doing. How you should be living. And in that, God will grant you the wisdom that you need. Verse 14, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. I love that here, even though our days are numbered, that Moses is telling us that we need not just curl up into the fetal position in the corner and cry out the rest of our days. But instead, we seek our satisfaction 
in, in the Lord. We have faith that He will satisfy us. That not only will He be our dwelling place, that He will be our home and our safety, but that He will give us exactly what we need. Why? Because of His steadfast love. Because of His stubborn love. His never-ending, never-giving-up, always-and-forever love. And let us focus on that love and the satisfaction that we should receive from it. That we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. And yet in a very similar way here in verse 14, when talking about the morning, Moses has already talked about the morning once in verse 6. In the morning it flourishes, talking about the grass, and is renewed. And Moses is encouraging us to be like that blade of grass. In the morning, be refreshed, be renewed. Why? Because in the evening, the grass fades. Because your breath is, your life is like a breath. Your life is like a day. Be refreshed in the morning, early on, in the beginning, so that You can spend the rest of your days joyous in who God is and what He has done for you. In verse 17, sorry, I'm skipping around a lot, um, but we're going to go back and look at this, what this psalm teaches us about who God is. Verse 16 and 17, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In order to know what it is that we are called to do and to be faithful to that calling, we have to know what God is doing. In order to be faithful to what God has called us to, and to know what that calling is, we have to know what God is doing. In this case, we see that God is doing a work of some kind in verse 16. And this work, the psalmist says, he desires to see it. And he desires his children to see it and to know what it is. And we'll go back to that in just a moment. What this should tell us, though, as Christians... We know our work. We have been called to something. We've been called, for one, to go to all nations, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that we have been commanded to do. In the same way, then, because life is short, when we are around anyone, any day of our lives, we should seek to love those who are around us because we love the Lord our God with all of our mind, heart, soul, strength. We should be loving our neighbor as ourselves. Who is our neighbor? The stranger that we walk past and also potentially an enemy. 
So today, tomorrow, every day, we love those that are around us. We show them the dignity that they have because they are made in God's image. Because God desires to be their dwelling place. We rejoice in those who are around us so that they too can rejoice. And we remember that the seeds that we plant in people's lives today are blossoms that are growing into eternity. Because as down as this psalm may seem, it's a reminder that we too are eternal. What does this psalm teach us about who God is? Well, in verse 1, we, we see that God is the only constant and continually safe shelter that we can hide our lives in. The only one that we can rest in. And as we already talked about in verse 2, He is eternal. He is forever. He always was and always will be. In verse 3, we see that God is in control. And why should this drive us towards humility and towards reverence and towards obedience, towards fear? Why? Because we have wronged that good God that is in control. As we already read in Genesis chapter 3, if we were to go back to verse 15 on through 19, we would see that our sin has caused us to be separated from that God. And yet He is in control and He is a safe shelter and He is forever. Verse 5, you sweep them away as a flood. They're like a dream. This is our lives. (laughs) Like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. And in the evening it fades and withers. Christian, it is amazing that God takes notice of us despite the fact that we rise and fall with the rising and the setting of the sun. God takes notice of us because he made us. And because of, as we read here in verse 14, his steadfast love, his stubborn love for us. And despite our sins, he shows us mercy. He shows us mercy. Our 70 or 80 years, um, which... I know that some in this room are closer to those numbers than others. Um, Those numbers scare me, right? (laughs) Uh, My my dad always joked with me that um, he he never thought that he would live to be 40 years old. He thought that 40 was really old, right? And then he had me when he was 30. And my siblings, they had when they were in their uh, early 20s. And so... He thought that he was an old man when he had me. He thought he was on his way out already 
when I was born. <laughs> and so even today, my dad, uh, who, I forget what his age is now, 60, I, you know, they're coming in a couple of weeks, so I got to be careful what I say here. Uh, but, but, you know, he, he still is amazed that he's lived as long as he has, <laughs> okay? And yet, Scripture does say that this is a, a normal amount of time, right? And yet, despite the fact that 70 or 80 is a good amount of time, um, a thousand years to God is like a day that has already passed. Verse 10, to me, is one of the more troubling verses in this psalm. The years of our lives are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, and then here it is. And yet their span is but toil and trouble. So you're trying to tell me that life is like a breath and there is the promise of toil and trouble throughout it? Why do we have such a short period of time and yet it is filled with trouble? Well, as one of my professors always used to say, you're asking the wrong question. Why do we have any time at all? That's what he would say. And so we'll leave that there. What do we do in the midst of this? What can God do for you in the midst of this toil and trouble in this short life? Well, we read that in verse 12. That we may get a heart of wisdom. God will give you a heart of wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 to 14, we read this. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or to come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for it is able to govern, for who is able to govern this, your great people." I'm not going to continue reading, actually, but it goes on to say that God grants Solomon's wish, right? He gives him wisdom to govern. We know that Solomon used that wisdom for evil sometimes, and sometimes he used it for good. But he asked, and the Lord gave it. In James 1.5, we also read that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So Christian, number your days 
and you will get a heart of wisdom. Number your days, and you will get a heart of wisdom. And in verses 13 through 17, we see that God satisfies us. That he shows us mercy. That he brings both joy and misery. And I love the way that Moses asked, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. It's a humble request, but I think it's a good one and one that we should emulate. God gives value to us as people and to our work. And he shows favor to his people. So in this psalm, what do we learn about ourselves? We're fading. We learn that time passes faster than we can grab a hold of it. And yet we also learn that we have a good and gracious God that loves us, that wants the best for us, that wants us to seek wisdom from him to know how we should live our lives. Yet we also know in the midst of this, even though we have been stricken with a curse in Genesis 3, and we are destined to return to the dust, that even though our life is as a breath, we know that there is one that has defeated that curse on our behalf. Part of that curse is that someone would crush the head of that snake, that dragon, Satan. And we know the one that has done that. Jesus has done that. And in the same way, Jesus has died our death for us. He has received our curse on our behalf. And he has given us a task to do, Christians. He has given us the task of spreading that good news. That good news that the curse has been defeated. The good news that despite our time on this earth being short, we do not need to seek satisfaction and be met with failure, failure in every area of our lives. Because God is the one that satisfies us. We know that we do not need to seek to save ourselves because we have a God that has given us shelter. That God is our dwelling place. That we have been built into a house. Right? In Jesus' name, we have been built into the household of faith. And we know that whatever work it is that we do, whatever vocation it is that God has called us to, 
as we read here in verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. We have seen the work of the Lord in Christ Jesus. A suffering work done for us on a cross. And we have seen its power in salvation. And we do tell our children of this. We have the great privilege of that. And in that, we too can ask that the Lord establish the work of our hands. That when we show dignity to others, that when we share the good news with others, that God will strengthen that work in our lives. And that he will bless it. And that we should continue in it. And when it just comes to our daily work, whatever it is that we may do, God will bless it. God will bless it. Let me go ahead and pray for us. God, you are our protector and our safety. We know this because you have always been and you always will be. We know that you are the only one that we can find rest in. We know that we... We know from the psalm our our frailty and our weakness, not just in our physical bodies, but in our souls too. God, we were once laden with sin, weighed down by it. We know that sin leads to death. And we know that these bodies of death are going toward the grave. As bitter as death is, we know that you give new life, Lord. That you freely offer new life, even though sin leads to judgment. We know the darkness of our hearts, and you know the secret sins that would divide us from you. God, thank you that in your holiness, You do not seek to separate yourself from us. But you seek to separate our sin from us and to bring us to you. God, instead of seeking to push us away, your son Jesus sought us out to remove our sin and to give us your holiness. God, we are like grass that grows and fades, like a flower that comes up with the sun and shrivels in the heat of the day. But God, we can come to you this morning and say, refresh us, renew us, 
God, come back to us. Do not turn away from us in anger, but show us mercy when we sin. And God, we know that you are faithful to do that. And you have ultimately done that in your son, Jesus. And God, we are reminded now that for those of us that know your son as our savior, that you have brought us back to yourself that your anger that Moses talks about because of our sin was spent on your son. And in that it is in his death that we have been shown the forever, the infinite mercy and grace of you, Father. Thank you. God, you make us glad. You give us the joy of life. And we have the promise of the joy of a life spent forever with you. We thank you and we praise you for that. God, we know that knowing you will help us to know who we are and how we should live. And God, we ask that you will give, the, give us the wisdom that we need to live. And as we live this life, even today, Lord, please help us to know that though our days are passing, that you've given us everything that we need to know what it is that you desire of us, how you desire for us to live and to show love to others and to dignify others and to tell the good news of your son Jesus to others so that they too may know, that they too may seek, seek you as their refuge, as their only salvation, as their only dwelling place. God, give us the courage that we need to do that, and we will thank you for it. Lord, we see the work of your hands in your Son, Jesus, and we ask that you would establish the work of our hands in this world, in your church amongst one another and amongst neighbors this week. God, we love you. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.